it is good to be with you again. Last time I was out there, it was like 9,000 degrees. No, it wasn't that. Maybe only 900. And some of you were out there. And then I came in here and I preached to an empty auditorium, which is, I hate that. So I'm so glad you're here. Let's cheer. Let's go. You said, clearly, you've had too much caffeine. Yeah? Hey, I, um, it's a fun weekend for me. Uh, I have grandkids. Any of you grandparents? Woohoo! It is the greatest. You give them sugar and give them back to the parents. It's awesome. And we were down in San Diego for a few days. And then one of the funnest events I've had in my 65 years, and 43 of which I've been in ministry, yesterday we had an 80s reunion down at Beach Bible Church where I was a youth pastor for 10 years. So think about this. My former junior high and high school kids are now in their mid-50s, right? How many of you are 50 or older? You could have been in my original youth group. How many of you are 50 or younger? 50 or younger. You were in grade school back then, you know? You, you were, some of you weren't even born, right? So been a fun, fun weekend. And so today we're going to open God's Word. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And uh, want to talk to you about this idea of judging. You say, oh boy. After this past year, do we need to talk about judging and critical and cancel culture? Did I get your attention at cancel culture, right? It is so easy for the church to be divided on a whole host of topics. I can show you right now how divided this church is. How many of you are Dodger fans? How many of you are Angel fans? See? How many of you say that baseball is a cure for insomnia? Yeah, see, you don't care. So we can get divided and judge other people for the silliest of reasons. But uh, we did a fun series at our church. We called it um, Misquoted and Misunderstood. And we did a seven-part series on the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in the Scripture. It was very, very fun. So the junior high pastor picked a passage, the high school pastor picked a passage, the senior pastor picked a passage. And I picked this one. Uh, that comes right out of Matthew chapter 7, and it it starts like this, judge not that you not be judged. Judge not that you not be judged. So this section, I think, this particular set of six verses may be the most misquoted passage of Scripture that I've ever seen butchered by both pastors and lay people, and I want to unpack it for us. It goes something like this. Um, people who don't know the Bible will use this uh, and maybe even tell you, like, you're not the judge of me, right? In fact, passing judgment has become a staple in our current, what we know as cancel culture. You've seen that, right? Where somebody takes a position on something and this, the whole world turns on them and, like, tries to discredit them. And that's been especially true in these last few years. And so what happens is we're very quick to assign blame uh, and to assume the worst about each other's motives. Now, it goes without saying, that ought to not be happening in the body of Christ. We understand what happens out in the world, but why is that happening here in churches as well? And so here's how it goes. Uh, Non-Christians often believe that they're being unfairly judged by those who call themselves Christ followers. Christians feel 
that they're not fairly represented in their viewpoints, especially maybe in the media, uh, by, quote, the world. And so both say to the other, uh, you're not the judge of me. And so I want to ask you a question or two. Is there a time when it is okay to judge somebody else? And what does that really mean? Is there a time that there's a biblical approach to calling someone out? And is there ever a right time to do this kind of critical thinking or judging? And really, the bottom line, by the end of this message, I'm going to give you some practical help. And as a Christian, how do you deal with the uh, kind of the cancel culture that is all around you? All right, we got a big task ahead of us. Let's jump in. So uh, you need notes, by the way. You know that... uh, if I weren't a pastor, I'd be a teacher, and I want to teach, so I need these notes out. I want to uh, just, just do it all together. This, this, let me hear this sound. Don't, there we go. Wave them now. See, by the way, I'm not sure if anybody's listening today right now uh, in their car out in the parking lot. If you are, I want to hear a horn. Is anybody out there today? Nobody. Cheryl, I knew I should have left you in the car to honk the horn. All right, and if you're listening online, I hopefully uh, you can follow along with us. So the first point is the better than you problem, verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. Now, I'm going to get very simple. This is what it isn't saying and what it is saying. How simple is that? Let me give you three things it isn't saying. Number one, that you never evaluate other people's behavior and actions. No, that's not what it's saying. Tolerance used to be kind of the highest virtue in the land, but now it's competing with our cancel culture. And so I think sometimes honest evaluation just gets lost in the, in the rhetoric. So the, this, this best-known Bible verse used to be John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But now people quote this verse like, hey, don't judge me. And so clearly we need discernment if we're going to be involved in any kind of judgment. The second thing it doesn't mean It doesn't mean you can't confront a close Christian brother or sister if their behavior is damaging to the gospel. We've all of a sudden become crickets when we see rampant uh, immorality in the church, whether it's cohabitation or adultery or uh, couples living with each other before they're married. And so often... Uh, we, that this verse is used as a shield for sin. It's a barrier to keep other people from uh, saying anything, and, and it allows the, 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 the offender to justify living in such a way that they can do whatever they want without any moral boundaries and accountability. Eric Bargerhoff wrote this in his book. He says, their objections, I think we have this on the screen, their objections sound like this, aren't we all sinners? What gives us the right to make a moral judgment about someone else? Isn't that God's job? Well, yeah, it is God's job. But we're going to dig a little deeper here and see if that's what it means. And so that word has been uttered by more fourth graders. You're not the boss of me. And it's become a, a part of our vocabulary. The third thing it doesn't mean is that you can't look critically at what's happening in the world around you and make a moral value judgment. You can make those judgments. You can form an opinion. You can respond accordingly. And I'm going to make a a point. I'm going to support the idea that, yes, you do that, but how you do that is more important than what you say. So how you do that. And so I think that what happens when this uh, verse is used out of context, 
it removes all uh, discussion. In the marketplace of ideas, we should be able to discuss things and agree to disagree. Like right now, I agree to disagree. The San Francisco Giants should not be winning the West right now. It, it should be. The, but we haven't agreed to disagree, right? And um, so there's all kinds of things we can agree to disagree about. And by the way, there's been so much division in our churches during COVID over the last 18 months. Think about all the ways that the evil one would want to divide us in the church. Meet or don't meet. Mask or no max. Get the shot, don't get the shot. Vote for this guy or vote for this guy. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And then we have, and I want to say this lovingly, the stupidity to post all these disagreements on Facebook for the whole world to see that we can't get it together, right? We expect the world to, get, to, to eat each other up, quote unquote. They don't have Christ as a moderator in their soul that makes a, a you know, you can be winsome, can't you? Can we be winsome in how we choose and how we interact with other people? And so this is why this is such an important thing to get uh, right. And so I think the bottom line, for years, this verse was used to mean that nobody has the right to judge anybody for anything at any time. That's a, that's a squealing halt. Not so fast. Not so fast. So here's what I think it is saying. First of all, let's look at the text itself. That word judge is crino, which means to basically separate, to choose, to select, or determine. There are choices in life. And so I think its primary application is to you as Christians and how you interact with a non-believing world. I'm going to take that premise. And I think what it really means is how you approach a non-believer in evaluating their life and their standards is, is a very delicate issue, right? Remember, God is the ultimate judge, and we don't have to play the God role. So what is God's view of judging other people? Let me give it to you from James 4.12. Look at the verse. It says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? I think that's primarily uh, referring not to your Christian community neighbor, but it, th those neighbors outside the, the, the life of faith. Now, isn't it ironic we as Christians would often hold a non-believer to a higher standard of behavior when they don't have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Should we be shocked by anything that's going on in the world among people who don't name the name of Christ? Right? I mean, if we just think logically, we should not be surprised by that, be indignant about it. We can be uh, sorrowful for it. We can be praying that God would change those people. But in the, in the end, if you're in relationship with those who are far from Christ, you have to find a more winsome way to encounter and talk through those kinds of things. And so I think he's saying, don't, as a Christian, pass this kind of self-righteous condemnation on others uh, in your kind of, your piety towards other Christians or on other non-Christians. Here's my observation. The Bible never gives us as the responsibility that the idea of pointing out sins of the world as our number one priority. I think there's a higher priority than pointing that finger at their behavior. Unbelievers don't need to hear more lessons on morality as much as they need to hear 
the unadulterated gospel, right? Love them first, let God judge them later. So here's what it says. He's the one who can evaluate motives. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or to the height of his stature or, because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He wasn't saying never to judge. He's simply warning about doing it the wrong way. That's my, my take on this. So he's telling us how to make those judgments in the right way. Uh, how many of you are golfers? Anybody that's a golfer out here? I know Rod is. We have a few golfers out here. Uh, Rod, you should raise your hand. You're a golfer. I often want him on my team, right? So what happens? I go out golfing sometimes with people. I just get paired up randomly with three other guys. And on the first tee, the guy just hooks the ball, and out comes a colorful flow of adjectives. You get my drift without me... Yeah, yeah, too much information, right? But you understand what. And then the next guy gets up and he just shanks it. The third guy whiffs. I'm going, I'm in for a long day. I get up and, of course, the Lord always gives me at least one hole where I hit the ball straight and I hit it straight down the middle. And uh, then they all hate me, like, who is this guy? Well, just give it a few more holes. I'll make you all feel much better about your game, right? So there's colorful language, yea, thus fairly, swearing of all kinds. And then in the course of conversation, well, what do you do, what do you do? I'm always at a, at a crossroads about hole number five after then all these expletives have been shared very publicly and loudly. And what do you do? Uh, I'm a linguist. <laughs> I study ancient languages. Uh, I'm a professor. No, you know, I don't. I just say... Well, actually, I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden there's a who. <laughs> actually, there's more than a who. It's like they use, use it, oh, sorry, pastor. Uh, sorry for my language. I said, well, it's, it's very expressive, isn't it? Yes. And uh, I just go on, and I, I don't condone it, but I don't like it. I don't go, you poor demented soul, you know. Use your words. That's what I tell them. Use your words, not those words. And so, yeah, so people have this perspective. The same thing happens on a plane, right? The conversation's going great. And what do you do? I'm a pastor, and they can't get out of that row quicker. It also, often helps emptying that middle seat. They're out of there, you know. But the bottom line is we're kind of judged. Like people say, oh, you're a Christian. You just must be judgmental. Well, the Scripture tells us something else here. We call it the boomerang effect in verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce... You will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. In other words, I call this the what goes around comes around syndrome in your notes. So think about that. What's the number one thing pastors are upset about with their congregations at the end of the budget year if things are not going well? Where? In the giving, right? And pastors might give messages. They haven't preached on giving all year until the end of December or whenever your year is, and we need to do better, and they can see the numbers, and we're not meeting budget. You know, it's so easy for us to, to be judgmental about all kinds of things, and I just confess that there's a reason why. I don't want to know who gives what in my church. I don't want to know who gives what, because I don't, and it's not because I, you know, show favoritism, you know, to the, to the big giver. If I knew that someone wasn't giving and they were in leadership, it'd be more like I'm praying those imprecatory prayers from the Psalms, just like David. Slay the evil non-tither, 
you know, that's taken out of context, isn't it? Yeah, not, not right. But, um, or how about forgiving? You know, we talk about forgiving one another, but maybe sometimes, you know, we really don't want to forgive because we've been so wounded. And so sometimes we're very judgmental, and yet there's this boomerang effect. Uh, we were at a wedding this uh, summer in Minnesota, and uh, each of the bridal uh, speakers, dad, ma, or that's the two fathers and the maid of honor and the best man in this, there was a second maid of honor, and she happened to be the youngest sister. And they all had the same script. They did some stuff, and they said, well, we understand that we're supposed to give you some marital advice. But the best advice came from the youngest person who said the least amount. She said, I've heard all this advice. I have no advice to give you. I'm single and living in the basement with my parents. I have nothing to speak to you about marriage, right? And I thought, touche, there's a girl who says, said it straight. I'm not going to tell you anything. I have nothing to say to you. Maybe sometimes we should realize our position in life. Maybe I just need to zip it. Maybe I don't have to comment about everything that I see and bring a value judgment on it. Uh, how many of you are parents right now? Just raise your hand. Where are parents? How many of you are grandparents? And maybe, did anybody... Great-grandparents? We have some great-grandparents, a few of you. Yay! All right. Isn't it amazing, as you have parented and grandparented over the years, how someone who has no kids knows exactly how to raise your kids, right? <laughs> when they were growing up, oh, you should do this. Really? Uh-huh. Get back to me when you, you have kids, and we'll see how that one worked, right? Uh, and so, very easily, it's easy to judge I think Jesus explicitly is rebuking, if I had to pick a group from this text, he's explicitly rebuking the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, right? Those that were quick to see the sin in others, but were blind and unwilling to hold themselves accountable for their own uh, behavior and even the same standard, imposing that on somebody else. So it begs the question, Jesus saying that the judgment always reciprocates, in other words, the measuring stick that they use to measure other people by is the same measuring stick that, that's going to be held up against their lives by God Himself. So it begs the question, why are we so into judging, right? Why, why are we so into judging people? Now, we have a nice friendly group here. Let's have a little audience participation. You online, you can shout it out and you know, send Jared your answer. But Bottom line is, why do we judge people? I'm going to give you five reasons, but just anybody have one that kind of comes to your mind right now, like this is why people tend to judge other people. Anybody? Pride. Pride. Let's see, survey says? Arrogance, that's good enough. Pride, we have a winner. Awesome. I did not pick her ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> so arrogance and pride, our big fat egos allow us to falsely believe that we're better than those that we're critical of. So we think their behavior warrants it, right? All right, let's see. We're one for one. Let's see if we can get number two. What's another reason why we tend to be judgmental? Anybody? Yeah. Self-righteousness. Survey says... Nice for playing. Thank you for playing. No. <laughs> that's a great answer. I think that's true. Uh, any other reasons why? Then I'll show you my list. Any other reasons why we tend to be judgmental? Anybody? Make ourselves, so you kind of tear somebody down so we feel better. Very good. Anything else? Punishment. Oh, yeah, punishment. Let's just cut to the chase. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm going to punish you for that. Yeah, okay. Fear, yeah. By the way, I'm going to add to my list because your answers are better than my answers. I like those. All right, well, let's look at them. Uh, arrogance and pride. Number two, uh, critical nature. That's just part of our, sometimes we're just critical. It's your, our natural tendency. Have you ever been around someone like that? They're just kind of cranky all the time. Makes you want to like run a million miles from them. Like if you wake up cranky, like go back to bed, right? They're just critical. You know, they see the glass as half empty instead of half full. Thirdly is jealousy. I went back to yours. Uh, we're we're kind of jealous, so we tear others down because of our own insecurities. Our own self-image is at stake. So we compensate for our feelings of inadequacy. Number four is false information. We're, giving, we're given false information, so we, we make sure you get the whole story. Uh, I do a fair amount of marriage counseling, and I have a requirement. I'm not seeing you separately. You come together so I don't end up with the he said, she said, and then I have to circle back, well, he said that, she said that, well, just how about you say it in front of each other, right? Uh, that's why Proverbs, this is a great proverb here for, for you to write down, Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So I, there's always two sides to that story. And then number five is what I call flawed self-awareness. Flawed self-awareness. By pointing out the failures of other people, uh, we falsely believe that we don't have to take a look at our own lives, all right? So, here's a better approach. Here's a much better approach. I think so often we uh, would just do well to just think through this very simple concept. How about we treat others like we would like to be treated? That's a concept right? Didn't we learn that in kindergarten? Be nice to everybody. Be nice, right? Jesus modeled that. He taught that. We called it the golden rule. He extends grace. Look at Matthew 7, 12. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For the, this sums up the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 12. It's counterpart in Luke 6, 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you, Luke 6, 31, right? So, What's one of the things that we, just to show kindness today, we could do? Have you ever been stuck in that parking lot? You've got to turn right, and there's a mile of people, and no one lets you in. I have the, the, I just try to be kind. So when I know someone's been waiting, waiting to turn uh, and get in line, I give them space. Unless I'm at Dodger Stadium, and we lost, and then I just pout. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? So, because we never know what's really going on with people and things that happen. Uh, any of you ever get a bit agitated when you get cut off on the freeway? Someone doesn't signal? Yeah, if we're honest, we probably get slightly agitated. Yea, thus fairly, maybe more than slightly, right? And so we think about that idiot driver. Well, what if that idiot driver that we thought about is preoccupied because he just lost his spouse, right? He's grieving. He's not really paying much attention. Or how about that rude saleswoman who's just not very kind at the check register? Maybe she just discovered she had cancer. You have no idea what's causing that rude behavior. Or how about that supposed, we call him supposed Christian, who just cussed you out 
brand new Christian doesn't understand that those are not on the A list of words available to them anymore, right? He's just being who he is. It reminds me of um, what happened the day I did my dad's funeral back in July of 2012. We're in uh, Yorba Linda at the time, and the funeral was up in Altaloma, and I had to get on the, the freeway to get up there, and I failed to put on my seat seatbelt, right? And how a guy can spot that you don't have your seatbelt on, but as soon as I got on the freeway, I, we got pulled over on the freeway. We're on the way to, for me to do my father's memorial service. And he goes, you know why I pulled you over? I go, uh, not really. He goes, oh, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I should have put my seatbelt. I'm sorry. He goes, driver license, please. I said, no, I'll put it on. I'm, I'm sorry. I figured I, you know, free pass. He doesn't know it's my dad's memorial service, right? He has no, uh, and registration too. I go, I can't believe it. And I, I kind of get agitated. My wife's going, slow it down, slow your roll, don't say something you're going to read. Then always her unhidden or her not so hidden words are, you're a pastor. <laughs> she should say, you're a Christian, and then maybe a pastor, right? And I, I started crying. I mean, I just lost it. And he thinks I'm having a nervous breakdown about a seatbelt ticket when it's just like, this is not my, my greatest day. It wasn't my best behavior either. And he gave me the ticket. He says, and this is what parents do when they paddle their children. This is for your own good. This is going to hurt me much more than it's going to hurt you. Really? Because that board was on my, on my buns, right? I felt it. He goes, this is for your own, um, for your own protection. You know what? He's exactly right. I don't think I've ever not had my seatbelt on in nine years. Because <laughs> all I think about is I don't need one of those kind of tickets again. And plus, we have these cars that remind us to put your seatbelts on. Ding, 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 ding. Is that irritating? Don't disable it. That is God's warning sign for you to put on your seatbelt and don't get a ticket. But see, he had no idea. But it was, I was very distraught. It reminds me of, uh, how many of you know the name H.A. Ironside? Uh, he's a famous preacher from yesteryear. By the way, I don't know how long you take to get through a book, but he took 11 years <laughs> to get through the book of Romans. You think, your pastor goes through getting through the book of Matthew. <laughs> Just how would like to be a, you know, Ironside's congregation. So he tells the story of a pastor was sailing to Europe on a great transatlantic ocean liner, and we got on board, uh, he found that the other passenger, that he, back then you shared a cabin with another passenger, uh, and when he saw the accommodation, he came up, and he kind of looked around, and um, he saw who he was going to be with. So he went to see the purser's desk, and he inquired if he could leave his gold watch and his other valuables in the ship's safe. Uh, and he explained that ordinarily he would have never availed himself of something like this, but he had been to his cabin, and he had met the man who was to occupy the other berth, and without going in too much, you know, judging from his appearance, he was afraid that maybe this person might not be very trustworthy. The purser didn't even blink an eye, and he looked back at him and said, no, no problem, I'll take your valuables. And he said, it's all right, pastor, I'll be very glad to take these for you. In fact, the other man has already been up here and left his valuables for the same reason. <laughs> Judge not, lest you be judged. So maybe you got to kind of tap the brakes here. 
in, in terms of judgment, and especially when we don't know all the facts. So let's be gracious. Let's be winsome. Let's show kindness in our actions. You know, it's been such a tough time during COVID. Uh, I'm doing my third uh, memorial service here, and the one I do next Saturday. This poor couple both died of COVID within two hours of each other last January. So their poor family has been waiting nine months to kind of put their, their parents to rest, so to speak. And so I find that I have had to be exceedingly careful and kind and think about what other people are going through right now. This COVID thing's a real thing, right? I mean, I, my daughter, my son-in-law, my, all four of my grandkids had it, right, last month. Our senior pastor's wife has been down for over three weeks. Our kids go to Hume Lake the last week of July. There's an outbreak there. 26 of our kids come home with COVID. They give it to their parents. We had to quarantine 240 people for 15 days. That takes a bite out of your church attendance when 240 are staying home. Yeah. And all during that time, you know, people are rumming, well, did they have the vaccine or not? Or this, you know what? Is that really the most important question to be asking right now? Or are we praying that maybe, maybe they should, hopefully they get better? And whether your, ne- your neighbors are doing this or that, or there's so many ways that the evil one would like to divide us as a congregation. And so I just say, let's believe the best instead of assuming the worst. So uh, in summary, I don't think Jesus is confused at all in his teaching. He didn't mean that we should never make a judgment about right and wrong. He's just explained that maybe we shouldn't make a judgment hypocritically. And so now we have what we call the blind eye syndrome in verses 3 to 5. And I put on our notes here, if you flip them over, um, you can write a couple ideas here, that our natural DNA is to be critical, I think. Most people are just naturally born to be critical of other people's behavior when they're blind to their own sin. So look at verses 4 and 5. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? I've asked my friend Rod to come up here. I want to illustrate this point for you because I see a speck in his eye. Rod, yeah, come not down here. You come all the way up here. That's right. Come to the principal's office here. Rod, let's come right here. Right? Now, in order for me to see that speck, I'd have to get up close. But the problem is, I got more than a speck. I got a two-by-four, and I can't really clearly see anything because I'm so blinded by what's going on in my life. And yet, the Scripture says, you're looking at that itty-bitty little something right there. It's kind of like when we go out for Italian food. I see a little piece of marinara right there. And I said, Rod, you got to change your shirt. And he said, John, have you looked at yours? I'm covered with spaghetti, right? <laughs> it's down everywhere. So when you're ready to judge someone else, take a quick self-examination and say, huh, maybe I need to deal with this in my life before I deal with that tiny little thing in his life. Is that fair? All right, give me... Give me some. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Rod. Yeah, you can clap for him. Come on. 
And so we overestimate the sin of others and we minimize the sin in our own lives. Second principle under the blind eye syndrome, verse 5, most judging is done in hypocrisy. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't get that reversed. If you're going to bring it, you better take care of you first. First John 1, you confess, you deal with your own stuff. And what happens is, we know no one's a, a perfect, but what happens, we think other people should be perfect, and we don't apply the same standard to our own lives. There's what I call the exception clause. And so we demand other people to live to this standard, and we are willing to settle for a much less standard. Now, this is going to hurt. Isn't it interesting and ironic that we tend to be critical of others? By the way, when I'm preaching, I stand here. Now, I'm going to announce it to right now. I'm going to go, and I'm just going to meddle. I'm going to just get in your face lovingly. We're oftentimes critical of other people with the stuff that we ourselves are guilty of. I have to say, in my own profession, it just pains my heart. With the righteous indignation that often I see from other pastors about moral purity, and then they're the first ones to go down, or they're moral failure. Now, by the way, I'm not judging every pastor who's fallen, but what I'm saying is we of all people, we know uh, deacons, elders, pastors, teachers, leaders, disciples. We got to do better than that, not because we're striving for anything. It's because God's called us to a higher level. Here's where it's, I really get meddlesome. Dads, you're telling your daughters, you can't go out wearing something like that. Cover up, you know. You can't go to the beach like that. And then they're dabbling in porn themselves. A bit of a double standard. Or how about this? Telling someone else in this tone of voice, just listen and chill out! Really? Who needs to take the chill pill here? Right? I just, I'm sorry, I woke several of you up. I go back to, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, we're all agitated and we jump down the throat of somebody else. So seeing someone else's faults should be a cue for us to examine our own lives. That's all I'm saying. So we earn that right to be heard by being loving. So the summary is, yes, in this passage, there's a point when we confront the sin in another Christian's life. And yet, if we're doing that with a non-believer, I would just say, go with caution. Go with caution. I get to probably do some pre-marriage counseling for one of my former uh, students. We used to have kids who lived with us who were from China, and they went to Oaks Christian School, and, and so you really are their surrogate parents for two or three years. And so we had a young lady live with us for two years, her junior and senior year. She went off to USC, and she's graduated, and now she has a boyfriend. They want to get married. And they aren't believers. She's clearly said she's... She's an agnostic at best, and same with him. So before church today, they met us. They drove up from Irvine. They're here to see his parents. The ring's not yet on the finger. 
but they're, they're getting their ducks in a row, and they wanted to have breakfast. And it was all about, well, Pastor John, would you do our wedding? And I said, well, I have a few questions. They said, do you understand the idea of premarriage counseling? That's not a thing in China. I know it's not a thing in China. That's why I'm asking you. Let's talk about premarriage counseling. And we had two hours together, and they're all excited because they want to do the right thing. They don't know, yet know Jesus. So the number one thing, you know, though I could give them in the very first meeting all the statistics that are going against them about cohabitation, because they're all excited. They bought a townhouse, and they kind of got the cart in front of the horse. These, by the way, at least they believe that babies come after the marriage. I was glad to hear that, right? That's good. It's subtle for little wins. But I don't have to lead with your living together. Mm. How about I talk to them about God's plan for marriage and that how to become one and about loving communication and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so I get to practice what I'm talking about right now in this very moment and as I do their pre-marriage counseling, I, I want to keep loving them both towards Jesus, not being, you know, and I realize that that, that goes against some of your, the grain of our, like, no, you got to toe the line. And yet I'm reminded that God's grace overcame the sin of the woman at the well, the woman that they wanted to stone because of adultery, and on and on and on. And so, yes, there's a time to, to judge. Now, I thought I'd wrap up because you are a very astute, theologically accurate congregation. I know you've been taught well for years. So I do want to just read a couple of verses, not with much comment, because I want to give you the basis for future judgment by God, and we'll wrap it up, and I have two questions, and we're done. So the first is, the judgment seat of Christ. You need to understand, if you are a Christ follower today, you, for believers, will, will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Then 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so as a Christian, you're going to stand before God, and there will be some rewards, and the God will call them jewels in your crown. And so I have a very simple question for those of you who call yourself Christ followers today. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, will you be able to say, I did everything within my capabilities to make my life count for Jesus? Is what I'm doing going to last for eternity? That gives great perspective when you make choices about what you're going to do and how you spend your time. There's a second judgment. The great white throne judgment is for non-believers. And maybe today some of you are sitting in this room or listening online and you have never crossed the line of faith. Here's what your future holds in relationship to the eternal God. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so I'm here to inform you that you are, if you have not yet given your life to Christ, there is a coming day of judgment. It's not a popular one to be given from pulpits, but there is a day, 
And we don't know when, but the Lord will come back, and then someday you'll stand before God. And so I have a simple question. For Christians, your question is, am I making my life count for eternity? If you don't yet know the Lord, notice how I say that you don't know the Lord? I'm, I'm taking the positive. You don't yet know the Lord. Are you ready to meet your maker? It's a simple question. You're on one side of that question or the other. And so today, yeah, God is the ultimate God who can judge. And yet today, as we've seen, there are times where we need to be careful in how we judge other people as well. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads as the band comes? And so today, I, I realize there are two camps here. Those who know the Lord, who don't know the Lord. My guess is that most of you in this room know the Lord. And so maybe this is a come to Jesus call in the sense that you say, hey, I do want to make my life count. I've been home for 18 months. I, I, I want to have a winsome witness with those I come in contact with. And you say, hey, I, I really do want to live for Christ. I know that's the desire of your heart. And maybe you kind of nail that down today. Yes. I want to live in light of eternity. I'm not going to make you come forward or wave your hand, but I just, I would appreciate it if you say, yeah, that is the desire of my heart. I really do want to make my life count. I want to live in light of eternity. Would you just look at me just so I can catch your eyes? Okay, thanks. Yeah. I'm kind of going across from left to right. Okay, right there. Over there in the back. Okay. Over here in the middle. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody, I, I want my life to count. Amen. And then maybe somehow, some of you, you stumbled into this room today and you've never yet given your life to Christ. The pastors here would love to talk to you about the idea that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sin. And that by trusting in him alone for your salvation, you are assured a life for all of eternity with him. And so if you've never yet understood that gospel message or never clearly asked God to take control of your life and yield your life to His, His King and His kingdom, maybe you can just look at me as well. Say, yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm still in process. If that's for you, today is the day. Make that decision for Him. And so, Lord, as we worship You, as we conclude this service, May you help us to realize that we do want to make our lives count for eternity, and we do want to be ready to meet our Maker. In Jesus' name, amen.